0: Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender Blender HD on Twitter. If you want to follow me there. And this is your daily weekday, week daily dose of uh, of a little teaching time. This is what we do on the DFS pregame show. We go over yesterday's slate a bit. We take a look at today's slate a bit. We have an 11 game slate. Hopefully it stays at 11 games. We don't know. Uh, and then uh, I answer your your DFS strategy questions, NBA related, but it could be about anything, I guess. So uh, I prioritize, as usual, the YouTube people in the chat. If you're here live, uh, we have Matt Mears here, Tony Tischhauser Dustin Hogue, Card Fan, The Game, Twenty Four Seventeen. We got uh, Jude P. Kagan, Hopkins, all all day parents. The all day parents are here. What do you What are you doing in uh what, what what do you are you taking care of the kids if you're if you're watching the show if you're all day parents what's what's this past hour maybe they're not even good parents hey the username doesn't say that they're good parents so they're just all day but they're just always parents so if you're here on youtube feel free to type in your questions into the chat we have uh Devin. Devin's joining us uh as always as the producer he'll be he'll be uh Dropping links, telling you to smash the thummy thumbs, right? You know what we do here. Keep my apple juice cold. We got the regular one, not the mango stuff today. So hit those thumbs ups. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live every day here on this channel. So yesterday, yesterday we had a three-game slate where it was one game and then a big gap and then two other games. Uh, The most appealing game was obviously the first one. Uh, the national televised Bucks Lakers game, the closest game, with Giannis and LeBron and AD and Holiday and Middleton, so you could tell that uh, that most sharp players, <coughs> you know, built with that in mind, playing a lot of LeBron. He went off. LeBron plus Middleton, LeBron plus Drew, Giannis plus LeBron. The problem with making those Giannis LeBron lineups is that. You know the value on last on yesterday's slate was not uh, was not great, right? We were talking about DJ Augustine, Alex Caruso. The one that you needed was uh, KCP. He had what six three pointers, seven three pointers, something like that, right? Draymond Green was fine until he got ejected at the end of the, end of the first half. That killed a bunch of lineups for me. But I ended up doing well. I ended up doing well in cash games. Go back to the spreadsheet, right? Did pretty well all three sites. Bing, bong, bing. I mean, not as much because, you know, he split some double ups and lose some head to heads. FanDuel carrying the load. So moving up another 1100 bucks. Bankroll's up to 28673 See the chart? We're moving on up. Moving on up. So uh, today's 11 games late. I'll be playing 10% of this number across all three sites. And obviously, uh, if you want if you want to continue tracking this with me, this is my actual cash game play using roto grinders projections so you can go to tracker.theoryofdfs.com and you can take a look at this anytime whenever it gets updated go go check get a one in the morning or whatever when the slate's over and i i input the the new day's uh numbers but i show this pretty much every day here on the pregame show uh and and if if you want if you want a copy of this because some people have asked me it's like oh okay this is a this is a good way to track my track track my bankroll uh, just, uh, shoot me a DM on Twitter, blender HD, and I could send you a Dropbox link to the, the, this is a Google sheet, but I mean, I could I could export it as a, as a, as an Excel spreadsheet file. But I mean, you could also use a, something, uh, a site roto tracker. Like that's what I use like roto tracker. I don't need to do this. I do this because this is the only way I could publicly like share these specific details. Uh, but I'm not going to give you my roto tracker login. But if you, if you sign up to Roto Tracker, you could just import your CFSVs and it'll do all this for you. But if you want this as, as you know, a, a rudimentary bankroll tracker, just DM me and I have no problem giving you the link, Dropbox link, uh, to, to download this. But, uh, but we saw that, that, uh, that last night, I mean, you pretty much paid down at center, Brooke Lopez, James Wiseman. You paid up in like two spots. Whether it be like Le- probably it was LeBron plus something, either Giannis or Randall, or you went you tried to go like mid range. You played you went like Gobert, Holiday, Middleton, and did something like that, and then you had to find like an Alex Caruso or a DJ Augustine to fill in one of those guard spots. Uh, a lot of people played Emmanuel quickly. I didn't uh, with with Alec Burks back. I didn't necessarily trust his minutes, but I mean fine GPP play. You wanted to take a shot that way. But I guess at, at 27% ownership, maybe not. Uh, Bojan had a great first half and then kind of died afterwards. Conley was okay. If you play Conley over Drew Holiday, that's fine. Or over Middleton, that worked out. Uh, Wiggins was okay. That shooting guard small forward spot yesterday was like the toughest spot to fill. Because you had to fill like two of them it's like yeah you could you could play boyan bogdanovic in your small forward but you still need to find some other like mid-range ish type of guard or forward so like in cash games i had wiggins and i you never you never you you, you never want to rely on andrew wiggins in, in your in your cash games but three games late you have to do it so either like wiggins or kelly Oubre, something like that some people play both portis and lopez together in cash games i get it you're playing all the sender minutes but, uh, but if you played one or the other, I liked Harold, I played Harold in a bunch of lineups last night, but that shooting guard small forward, like I, if we see in the alley oop the five fifty five versus the $15 and the $4, like RJ Barrett was the one with the biggest discrepancy, but I, but I, the, to me, I don't personally get it because like, I had to play RJ Barrett in like three, I think I played eight lineups yesterday. I played him in three out of my eight only because like what else fits there? Like you had to have played like an Augustine or Caruso. And I I went with more balanced builds yesterday. I didn't play Giannis. I didn't play Curry. Like those are the two guys. I didn't play Giannis, didn't play Curry, didn't play I didn't play Randall. So I was playing I was playing more of pieces of the Milwaukee Lakers game and then stacking the the Jazz Pelicans game. So I figured that if if I'm gonna if I'm not gonna play Randall then I'm not going to play Curry. Like, because they kind of go together in the same game and just hope like it blows out on one side or something. But uh, in, the, in the Pelicans-Jazz game, there were more cheaper pieces. Gobert, Mitchell, Conley, Bogdanovich. You know, then on the other side, he had Bledsoe and Adams and Zion was okay for, for balanced builds. And they were going to be lower owned. I didn't play Clarkson at his raised price, but, uh, but some people played like Gasol as leverage. I was more likely to play Adams. So I played a lot of like Adams, Lopez lineups, Adams, uh, Harrell. I still played Wiseman in a bunch, but I was trying to go a little bit under on Wiseman and play the other centers, but you just had to find value somewhere. So like I played a couple of lineups with the Nikhil Alexander Walker. I mean, he was expect for 4,900. He probably wasn't worth 4,900, but I was just betting on the fact that the cheaper the cheaper value just dudded like Caruso and Augustine and KCP and quickly just those guys get single digits and my balance build gets to the top right because even like Conington kind of got there for his for his price like O'Neill even gave you I mean he was in the 4k so that didn't count like Bullock even got there got there enough for a three-game slate like 18 and a half on a bigger slate is not going to be enough but on the smaller slate, the three-game slate, where you just need raw points, like, that that was good. But I mean, my, my saving grace was that, you know, I didn't play any Giannis, and he only put up 44 points. And that saved me from the, the Draymond Green getting ejected and only having 14. So those stars and scrubs builds weren't as predominant because of Giannis's score. Now, if you built with, like, Randall and James and no Curry, and no Giannis, like and then you were fine. But that that was less owned. Those combinations were a bit less lesser used. This, at least in the contest that I was playing. So going through the YouTube chat, as always, hit that thumbs up button. Feel free to post your questions, either about yesterday's slate, about today's slate, general DFS strategy. It's Friday. It's got its casual Friday where we're we're going to be a little, bit, a little bit more casual. We're always casual here, but we could be a little bit more casual on Fridays. Uh, Eric Johnson says, I suck at cash games, but winning GPPs, go figure. Well, well, it, it's the skill set is, is different. In GPP, you're thinking about a lot more variables. In cash games, you're kind of being boring. And also, you have to realize that on most of these platforms, that people that play double-ups and head-to-heads tend to be more serious players tend to be not all of them because most of the casual playing audience sees uh, i want to win a hundred thousand dollars and play for 15 bucks dollar in a dream they're less likely they're less going to get excited about it. i'm going to play a five dollar double up and get 10 bucks right so a lot of the field in cash games are going to be better players not all the best players but better players in general on average so if you're if you're not really on your game you have you have to be skillful at building median lineups the best you know try to just get the 55th percentile outcomes out of your guys what's the best combination for that well in gpps you're juggling a lot more variables and you can take a lot more risks So, like, you know, you could lose 90% of the time. But if you know you bink a contest every once in a while, you're you're great. So that's how good GPP players play. And you get a ton of dead money in those contests, a ton of Joe Schmoes on the couches, putting together some lines. People may think, oh, look at all these guys that have 150 entries. There aren't as many as you think. Even even the contests. You know that large field GPPs that may only equal to 20 to 25 percent of all the lineups, which is still a hefty percentage. Yes, but 75 percent are just onesies, twosies, fivesies. Maybe you're building 10 for that contest. It's more like that. So people make it out that 150 max players, which tend to be better players, because if you're going to be 150 max player and be bad, you're going to lose. You're going to lose your money way quickly. And you're not going to be around to put 150 entries into these contests anymore. It's, it's all about your relative skill versus the field. So this, this is what we talk about when it comes to contest selection. People ask me, well, what, uh, what contest should I play? Like, well, I don't, well, what's your skill level? Are Are you good? Are you bad? If, I mean, if you're the best player in the world, literally the highest skill level, you can play in any contest practically, right? You're always going to be better than everyone else. Now, if you're in the middle, like you're looking for contests that have players that are weaker than you. No matter where that line is, you're just looking for contests that have opponents that you stand to be a favorite over. So when you ask like, what contest do you play? Well, find the contest that you, if you're looking to be profitable, find the contests that contain weaker players. That may be looking for guys in head to heads that you have a better record against that could be playing low stakes double ups versus high stakes double ups larger field double ups versus smaller field double ups it could be certain gbps like we know that on on draft that players with a million in lifetime entries someone like myself can't play in the, the low stakes games so if you're gonna play the one dollar twenty max i can't be there and All the top players can't be there that you see on the RG leaderboard. So playing that contest will inevitably have a weaker field than playing the $15 fadeaway. So if you have a choice between the two, find the contests that have weaker players than you. You have to do one of two things, okay? Either find those contests or get better. I think a lot of people focus on the first a little too much and not on the second. They focus on, well, let me let me figure out the contest that I could win. Not realizing that there may be none. Maybe you're not good enough. Maybe that average skill level of any contest you're still not above. Well, now the problem isn't like worrying about what contest to play. It's how do I get better at playing DFS? Because that'll solve all your problems. If you're better than the, the competition, well, get better than them. Like once you get better than them, then your contest selection isn't as important because you could play practically any contest and be a favorite. Let's see. Uh, Big Willie 43729 asks, how do you adjust ownership projections for the late slate? They are the same for the full slate on RG. You just scale them up. I mean, what, what you can do if you want is is just uh, run 300 lineups in lineup HQ and see who shows up the most. Typically, the players that project well are going to show up the most in lineups. You have to scale your ownership up based on the price and positions. So like yesterday, for instance, in the main slate versus the, like now we're talking about a three-game slate and a two-game slate, okay? So obviously in the two-game slate for the two late games, you're not going to see LeBron right? Obviously you can't. You're not going to see, you're going to see LeBron gone. You're going to see Giannis gone. You're going to see Brooke Lopez gone, okay? You're going to see Middleton gone. So you're getting rid of two small forward eligible players. You're getting rid of a cheap center, right? You're getting, getting rid of a power, expensive power forward. So how does that affect ownership? Well, because you're getting rid of a cheap center, probably it's going to increase the ownership of James Wiseman. Probably Rudy Gobert as well, because now you don't have two pay-up options either. Now you're getting rid of small forward eligible players. Like it's going to increase the ownership of Oubre, of Wiggins, of, well, not KCP, because he was in the first game, not Caruso, he was in the first game. Probably Boyan is going to get an increase in ownership. Randall's going to be hella owned because it's he's going to take all the ownership that Giannis would have in those builds. So you could just do this by logic. Who are the chalkier players from the, from the games that from the main slate that are no longer exist. And what's the likely construction. RJ Barrett's ownership is going to go up because he's both shooting guard and small forward eligible. Like Ingles is going to go up at at small forward. You're going to have to find some salary relief somewhere. Draymond's going to go up. Curry, Curry may stay the same. Maybe not be able to fit in Curry in a point guard spot, but you're going to have to find some type of point guard to play because you don't, you don't get, you don't have LeBron, you don't have Holiday, you don't have Quickly, you don't have Caruso, you know, Conley. So basically, yeah, Conley would end up being kind of the chalkier, the chalkier player, Donovan Mitchell, but I don't even know if you could pay up for Donald, Donovan Mitchell on the late slate. Harold's ownership goes up a bit. Cause you're, Cause you're, losing Lopez. So this is one way you could do it. Are you going to get an exact number? No. But do you, do you need an exact, exact number? No, you just need to adjust. If you have the original main slate projected ownership from Roto Grinders, just bump it up based on that. Who is gone from it. And I need to put that ownership somewhere. Where's it going to go? Where, where does it have to go based on the prices and the positions? So that's, that's a way to do it. Because we don't run ownership on like every slate here at Rotogriders. Jamino's hamster, Jamino's hamsters, they get tired. Okay, they're working all day for main slate ownership. That sometimes the main slate starts and just pfft, time to go to sleep, right? So we run we run ownership for the main slates on, on every sport, but not necessarily for the late slates. I think sometimes, sometimes I see it. Let's see. Ema, Ema Dia Tappen one? Ema I I don't know. Whatever that means. Do you typically use just one random player or two random player exposures on lineup HQ? I feel like my sub 4k guys are my thing to work on. I'm not really sure what that question means. I don't really, I don't, I don't choose random players. I don't know. Sh- should you be choosing random players? Maybe, maybe there's some people that may not, that may not be good enough at DFS that maybe would have been better off if they chose chose random players. Maybe. I'm not sure what that means feel free to, to reword it or something. I don't know. You feel like your sub 4k guys, are your thing to work on. Well, it's not about players, it's about lineups. Yesterday, with thin value, like the Stars and Scrubs approach, it's like you're going to see Caruso and Augustine and KCP. That's the only way to get LeBron and Holiday and Giannis into your lineups. The mid-range wasn't like the greatest or anything. So it's not just like, oh, I need to work on picking out the best like sub 4K guys. It's like, well, who says you need to make those lineups at all? Brandon Stinson asks, trying a single entry for the first time in a while, less than 20,000 contestants or entries. What's the top strategy advice to consider for this? Do you consider this large field or medium field? It doesn't matter what, like the descriptors that I use, like small field, medium, large field, they're just broad generalities. Like, well, once you get to this number, one 9,999 is small field and 10,000 is medium field it's like oh the biggest difference between one lineup no it's just think in terms of a scale more or less not like distinct well there's 300 and then there's a thousand and then there's two thousand and then what do you call all of these like it's hard to say well this is a mid small this is like now you're making little hyphens on everything just know that the larger the contest you play the more leverage that you need the higher a score that you need, the more variance that you should be adding to your lineups. And the smaller the contest that you're playing, the less leverage you need. The more you should be focused on projection than leverage or correlation. So to me, 20,000 entries is, is fairly big for NBA, right? But if you wanted to call it medium and call it 70,000 large, that's fine. It, it, the, the descriptor doesn't matter as much. A single entry with twenty thousand contestants is a it's a pretty big contest. The main the main strategy advice for single entry contests is that is to exploit human psychology. The single entry means that you only get one lineup, and human beings, being irrational as usual, go from uh, try to avoid loss more than try to maximize for gain. So you'll hear people, oh, it's a single entry contest. I have one lineup. I can't be risky. I can't, I got to play the best plays in that lineup because I only have one. Well, that's thinking from a perspective of min-cashing. Right? I only have one line. Who cares if you only have one lineup? Play the best lineup that has the highest equity and win first place. You're going to lose 90 plus percent of the time that way, which is fine rather than maximize for you getting a 1.5X from you turning 10 bucks into 15 or into 20. Those are the dead lineups, lineups that have very, very little to no win equity in the contest. So that's my top strategy advice. So many people play single entry three max as if I only have one lineup, so I can't take risks, which means that the best projected plays tend to be, higher owned than they would be in a large field contest. So we see today, like the market's Cousins is rightfully going to be chalk. Now in the large field GPP, maybe he ends up being 48% owned. For an 11 game slate is pretty, pretty high. But you'll see in the single injury contest, maybe he's 70% owned. Does that mean you fade him? No, it just means that now your calculation for your entire lineup needs to be predicated on those types of numbers. Well, if a lot of the field is going to have cousins, that means they're also going to have this, like their construction is going to be much more chalkier than versus in large field contests. And it's only due to the fact, even though it's 20,000 entries, it's only due to the fact that I only have one lineup. I can't, you know, I can't fake cousins if I only have one lineup. I can't fade this guy if I only have one lineup. It should be, it's a 20,000 person. It's a 20,000 entry contest. Who cares? Just play the lineup with the highest win equity that you can, that you can build. That happens to be without the market's Cousins, then build that lineup. It happens to be with Cousins, okay. But now you, you have to weigh your leverage in your lineup based on that ownership, not on the projected ownership for a large field GPP. Like I said, like forty-eight percent owned versus seventy percent owned is is much different. You have the more owned those players are, the more leverage you have to find elsewhere in your lineup. So a lot of times, if you're playing the stone chalk in single entry fields, yep, it's you have to you have to find it somewhere, or fading it. If you fade a seventy percent owned guy, like then you almost ha- don't even have to worry about the rest of your lineup. Like you've already gotten enough left, like you, 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 you've done it. Like just play a lineup without cousins and you're fine. Maybe in the large field when he's only going to be 48% owned, maybe you need to find a little bit more. But if he was going to be 70% owned, he may, just not playing him is the only thing you had to do. And then just play the best lineup. There you're done. Good. So that's the consideration between single entry contests, regardless of the field size. And multi-entry contests. It's a human psychology thing. I'm, try, I'm trying to I'm trying to get you out of that mold of I only have one lineup. I got I, I I I can't lose. No, it's about maximizing your chance to win, not maximizing your chance not to lose. So so many people, if you download these CSVs, play lineups that maximize their chances of min-cashing, but their lineups have very little win equity. That's the edge. That's how you're going to win over time. Tonight, who knows? But you play to win every day for the next 365 days, you'd be much more likely to win first place for 50 grand than playing safe lineups that you feel like you're winning. Oh, I made a little here. I lost a little there. I made a little there. By the end of the year, you'll see that you're down 10% because you're also paying a rake in the process. So it may feel like you're profiting more, but really most likely you analyze your, your, your results at the end of a year and you're like, wow, it, it felt like I did better than I did. And I lost 4% of my money. That's not a profitable way to play. Okay, we got a lot, we got a lot of questions for for casual, for casual Friday. I'm scrolling through. Uh, RHA dog. Since there isn't results DB for FanDuel, how do you research those lineups? Well, I play most. I play nearly all of my GPPs on DraftKings. I have for the past five years, so it has never been that much of a problem. But if you were playing on FanDuel, the the, the best way to do so is you have to be in those contests and then look at look, and then look after the slate. You have to go into into FanDuel itself and look at players' individual lineups, do stuff like that. That's what I used to do. I mean, before results DB and before CSV downloads, I mean, there were still CSV downloads, but like when I played soccer, I just go through and look, oh, he played this lineup. Oh, he also played this lineup. Oh, he also, oh, okay. Start learning that way. So yeah, FanDuel is a little bit more complicated. Going through the YouTube chat before we take a look at a little bit about uh, today's slate. Cause it's an 11 game slate. We might as well look at it a little, even though who knows. Is it going to end up being an 11-game slate? It could end up being a nine-game slate. Who knows? Max Coach One asks, Blender, do you factor in DVA, the defense versus archetype, when you're building or just something you look at when you're deciding between players you're torn on? I do not look at it whatsoever. Okay, that's the answer. Anything that is predictive is going to be in the model. I'll show you exactly what I look at. People ask me, What what are the things that you look at when you build your lineups? I'll show you exactly what I look at. You see this line, these two lines where it says projections, right? That's it, I'm done. I don't even, I barely even look at the totals, right? They just happen to be here, right? I barely look to see whatever, like this is it. Minutes, fantasy points, projected ownership, floor, ceiling, RGV, smash point per dollar. Done, that's it. I I mean, there's other stuff in here, right? Situation archetype, ooh, DVAR and be back, back to back. And you can leave season stats, you can switch that. You can do a lot of stuff in here, right? I don't care. I just care about these numbers. That's it. That's all I'm looking at. I don't know who, what the matchup is. I don't know what the total is. I don't know what any of this is. The model is already taken as long as you can, you can, ah, oh, I'm gonna be 27 minutes. Right, it'll bump them up here. Obviously, it it didn't run the simulation for the floor and the ceiling. That has to be done in the background. But I'm trusting the projections team on the minutes most of the time, right? Our great projections team, you could see them. How do I get rid of this? Okay, right? See? Meansy, Tuttle, Noto, SBK, Jemino, Allen, Bob Reeves, those guys, they come up with the minutes and the usage. And then run the simulation, and it comes up with the range of outcomes. So that's all I need. What else would I need? It's all—it's all in there. That—that's—that's. <laughs> that's, it's like it's like uh, having an Italian grandmother, right? Builds all you know. You have a spaghetti or whatever, whatever it is, and it's, you know the big pot. And they're putting in spices and stuff and everything, and you're like, oh, okay, maybe I need some salt. No, it's in there. Don't put it. You don't have to put extra salt. It, the salt is in there. The pepper's in there. The paprika, it's in there. Everything you need is in. just, all you have to do is eat it. It's all in there. So that's what I look at. Everything else is either descriptive or you're just, you're double counting. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. It's that if it did matter, it's already in these numbers. It's already in these numbers. Well, this team has a defensive efficiency of this and this team doesn't defend three point shots. It's all in there already. So anything you read is just an ex- explanation of the variables that are already being calculated in there. So it's not the type of thing of like, well, Luca projects well, and then he's also in a game with like, no, it's already factored in. So you'd be double counting by going like, the projection is not like one of the variables you look at, right? A lot of people treat it that way. They go, well, I'm going to look at at DVA. I'm going to look at this. I'm going to look at this, And then I'm going to look to see if they're projected well. Like, no, you're just explaining all the variables that are already in the projection. That's the reason they are projected well. Or you look for a bad matchup and you'll like, go, what's his projection? Oh, he projects badly also. It's like, no, no, he projects badly because of all the stuff you looked at. It's already in there. So it doesn't mean you can't look at that if you want. From my perspective, I'm looking to maximize my time efficiency. That's why I use Light Up HQ. That's why, that's why I, that's why I do what I do. I want to make the most amount of money using the least amount of time. I want to play a ton of content. I'm playing 300, 700 contests. And I want to be as efficient as possible rather than spend eight hours having to digest all this information and weigh all these variables in my head. Nope. I got a model. I got a system to do it, right? That's what roto grinders is. If you're a premium member, rotogrinders.com slash premium. Click on the link in the description below. Get $10 off your first month. Like RG does it for you, right? So it's all here. So why am I spending the rest of my day going through everything else? It's all in there. I'm, I'm, I'm looking, my main goal is to make money. So I I, I can do other more beneficial things with my time than spend all day. It's 1130 in the morning. A lot of these numbers are going to change, right? This guy's in, that guy's out. Right, you never know, game get canceled. So at 10, 11 in the morning, this this is what it looks like. I can come back to this an hour before lock, between now and then, and who cares? I don't have to pay attention throughout the day. The numbers will change. And at the time that I'm building lineups, an hour or so before lock, that's when I look. I mean I can look throughout the day, little like peek here, oh that's interesting, that type of thing. But people think, people think it takes oh, oh, you're a pro. You must spend all day, all day building lineups, thinking and you know, strategies and going, it must take, oh, I can't do that. I wish I was able to like quit my job and just be able to do this like you do. Like you don't need to. You could build, you can, I, I could I can build, I could build competitive GPP lineups in 10 minutes without looking at a slate until 10 minutes before lock. Like literally just no, no, no idea who's playing no idea about anything, then show up at, at 6.50 Eastern and look at the projections and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand-build a couple of lines. It would be better, obviously, if I was thinking a little bit th- throughout the day of strategies. Well, these types of constructions are going to be popular and those types of things. Like you could do that in a short amount of time, but it wouldn't be as, as beneficial. But it's not something you need to spend eight hours on. So you can be competitive in DFS. You can be a very good DFS player while still having a regular job coming home and it's 6, 6.15, right? You turn turn on Grinders Live, right? On the way home, on the way to commute. I don't know if anyone commutes to work anymore with the virus out there. You turn on Grinders Live. You listen to Dean. You listen to the body parts, right? SBK comes on. Talks about what they're talking about with the projections. Devin says, gives you the, the the questions from the chat. You listen to that on your way home. Then you get home. Then you turn on Roth and Meansy. If you're a premium member, get crunch time. They talk about lineup construction. Then you build your lineups. You look at the projections and you build your lineups. You could you be good. You don't have, you, people think that you need to spend eight hours a day. You don't. Maybe 10 years ago you did. Maybe, you know, maybe even seven years ago. These projection models are, are, are great. All the content that you get at Roto-Grinders is great. It does, all the work is being done for you. Now, it's, now you're getting to game theory. You have to take all of this and then go, okay, how do I outsmart my opponents? To me, this is, this is where I start. Most people try to get to this point and then build lineups without caring what their opponents are going to do. Me, I spend all my time. Like this is all done. This is where, this this is where I start from. And then I go, how do I build slightly better lineups than my opponents? My opponents are going to go this way. I'm going to go that way. And that, that way could be a hundred different ways, which is the best out of those hundred ways. I don't know. I have to weigh that. So that's what, that's what I'm doing. That that's what the game theory of DFS is. If you want to learn the game theory of DFS, I have a course. All the concepts I talk about on the DFS free game show here are are in the theory of daily fantasy sports. It's a 15 hour audio masterclass. It's me in your pocket. People listen to this multiple times. You listen to it, you play a bunch. Then you listen to it again. And some of the concepts start seeping into your process, seeping into your head, and and you start playing better. This applies to any sport, not just NBA. It's it's game theory. This is is why the best DFS players in the world tend to be good at every sport. They go, well, this guy doesn't know anything about golf. How come he does well? Well, because he does well in NFL, because he does well in NHL, because he does well in NASCAR or whatever, whatever sport. It's the same that you're playing the same game regardless. The nuances and the roster constructions, some of the variables change a little from here to there. But the strategy in and of itself, the game theory of DFS doesn't change. So if you want to go, there's look at all these chapters and topics. It's a little bit of math and statistics class in addition to game theory. But it's broken down. I get 15 hours of audio. Bunch of testimonials here if you want to scroll down. So go to theoryofdfs.com and pick it up. And if you have any questions about, if, if you listen to it and, and you have additional questions, just come here and ask. I mean, that's, that's what I talk about. A lot of what I talk about are the applications of these concepts. But once you get the concepts down, you can start applying them to any sport, anywhere, any slate, anything. So you're, you're not lost on a slate. You're not thinking of, well, should I do this? Or should I do that? You'd, you don't even know what to weigh. You don't even know... Like what could be better than other things to do strategy-wise. A lot of people don't even understand what what projections are. This will explain how projections are even made and then how you could utilize them to your advantage. How you could exploit them also, right? There's there's a way to exploit projections as well. So go there. Theory of DFS.com. Pick that out. Um, Matt Mears asks, do you ever let the slate size dictate which contests you enter? For example, playing more large field GPPs when the slate size is larger and smaller field sizes on short slates. Yes. Every slate should be, where is your edge? That's what you should be thinking of. What are you strong with? What is your strengths? And where where does the edge lie? In smaller slates, the, the, the variance goes up. On small slates, if, you're, if your strength is in uh, building unique lineups, playing large field GPPs on those slates are, are better. It's going to be high variance as hell. If you're, if you're a great cash player, you want, you want the largest slates possible. There's going be so much overlap in, in small slates. And then it also depends on the contests that are being offered. Like some nights, that, you know, some nights uh, on DraftKings they'll have the eight dollar one be the hundred fifty max, and maybe you're like, okay, maybe maybe I do play fifty lineups into that. Sometimes it's a fifteen dollar contest, and the payout structure garbage. You know, it's hundred thousand the first, and then twenty thousand the second, and they're like, why the hell did you do that? And you don't play that contest. So, catering your play to the the slate, you may look at you may look at the slate and go, I don't know if there's an edge at all. Or maybe you don't even play maybe you play on a different site maybe you look at today's slate and go i think there's a lot of edge on draftkings but not on fanduel or vice versa or the way that that stuff is priced on yahoo i think i have a better better edge in gpp's there and then you play there maybe you look i mean i grant to me grant uh, grant nefer is one of the, one of the best at this Grant it plays on anything. I mean like you, you if there's a site in Bulgaria that that has has NBA DFS or something, some type of game involving fantasy something or other. He probably has an account on it. And he also has sports betting accounts cuz he's in Colorado. So he's got a bunch of those. And he looks at and he looks at a slate, he looks at a, a nights worth of games and goes, "Well, I prefer the prop. I'm going to put my money, the set amount of money that he has to play that night, and goes. I think there's more edge in the prop market, and then doesn't even play DFS and just says, "I'm I'm just like the these three props are off on this sports book. I'm going to play. I'm going to put 500 bucks each on them, right? Like that type of thing, or looks and says, like I'm going to do that, but I'm also going to play a bunch on Yahoo and not on DraftKings. Or then goes like FanDuel like this contest is going to overlay I'm going to play a bunch in this contest and then bet here and so every every, every night is going to be different for him I'm a little bit more consistent but truthfully Grant's way is the best way where is the edge go to the edge Put, put the most put your allocation of your bankroll on that given night to where, where you believe that the edge is for yourself. Some people are better than others at certain contests, or at certain sites. So it's really up to you. Find the weakest opponents. You may see. I you may see I could I go in the DraftKings lobby and go and start looking at the head to heads and go, wow, there's like two guys that have no badge that have, are posting like 215s and 109s. And I'm like, yeah, I'm playing a bunch of those now. And then the next day they disappear. Who knows where they went? You'll never know. You have to look. So get, getting in, getting out of the habit of like, these are the contests I play every single day, no matter what, no matter what the slate size is, no matter what the pricing is, no matter nothing. I mean, you're probably, you're probably, you're leaving money on the table. You're, you're, you're probably playing in some contests in a negative EV banner and not playing enough money into the contest that you're playing the, in a plus EV manner. Uh, let's see. Going through the YouTube chat, going through the YouTube chat. Uh, I, I always scroll and then it gets lost. Kagan Hopkins asked, "What factors made you not play Giannis and Curry last night?" Because I was I was playing balanced builds. I thought the, I thought much of the field was going to play stars and scrubs types of builds, so I I play balanced. And since Randall was uh, was going to be popular, Randall and Curry are more correlated to each other. So if I'm going to, if I'm going to not play as many stars and scrubs builds, those are the guys that I'm I'm not going to play. Like Giannis, you could not play and still have Middleton or Holiday get there. You could play LeBron plus Holiday, but with Randall, like you could play Randall or Curry. But to me, if I was going to play Curry, pretty much, why don't you play Randall in that lineup? So that's why the, the Coral and Evelle elements of Curry and Randall made me not want to play them because Randall was going to be popular and Curry's Coraline. Uh let's see. Right, Apocalypse has it has a correct. When I'm using projections and probabilities it's like doing a math problem. There are very little if any biases. That's correct. That that's how I view it. That's why I named the the, the players are just names on a spreadsheet. Right? Oh, well this guy sucks. Like well if he sucks why does he project well? If you're telling me that the model is good as a high R squared, then who gives, who gives a crap what the name is? Oh, he's horrible last game. Who cares about last game? Let's see. Eric Johnson asks Is it optimal to get drunk before lock and build lineups? For some people, it would be. I see some inside. I see some of your lineups. Maybe you would have been better off if he got drunk. Maybe I mean sometimes. Sometimes I take a look at lineups and said, and I don't know how you got to this. Did you just bang your head against the keyboard? I don't know. Let's see. Anything else in the chat as of now? Rinald Brown says thanks for the advice on sticking the sticking to the five and under contests where the sharks can't play. Really helped me cash in all formats yesterday. Yeah. Understand that there are still very good players that play in the low stakes, okay? It's not like just a whole bunch of, bunch of idiots down there. You're more likely to get more idiots, but there are still plenty of people that play like the $1.20 max and the mini maxes that are actually really good. That's that's where that's where the good players come from. That's how I started. I mean, I just didn't wake up and start, you know, playing $3,000 a slate. I played the quarter arcade. That's how that's how I got good. So I mean, there are players right now in the mini-max that are gonna bink a couple of mini-maxes, then they're gonna move up to the $4.20 max. They're gonna bink a couple of those, and then two years from now, they're gonna be like top 10 on the RG leaderboard. They're gonna be, you know, winning 100 k in the in the large field $15 contests. That that's where you start from. That's where you learn, where the, the, the cost of entry is low. You should be playing the. You should be playing the contests that you that either that you have an edge in, or that you aspire to have an edge in, for as little cost as possible. If you want to be one of those one fifty max large field MME type players, you should be playing the mini max every day just just to learn. But if you want to be like high stakes single entry type of player, then you should be playing the. the the low stake single entries until you get good enough. Once you're good enough, you'll know you're good enough because you're winning them. And then you move up to at higher stakes, very similar to poker. Well, I'm doing so well in, in four eight. Well, let me move up to 6.12. Let me move up to 10.20. Let me move up in that next thing you know, you're playing 400, 800, maybe four or five years in the future, but that's where you start from. A lot of people want to go too quickly. Oh, how do I move up a month from now? A month from now? Dude, I didn't, it took me six months just to even get the fact that like uh, most of these concepts. Took me six months to realize, oh, this is, a. now I'm starting to get it. And then I look back to that, my six month old self then, and I go, that guy was an idiot. I look a year ago and go, wow, I learned a lot since this past year. I, I played much better than I did a year ago. And then uh, it's, what's January 22nd, 2021? I'm gonna go on January 22nd, 2022 and go, you know the guy that's talking to you right now? Yeah, that guy, that guy, uh, I, I know a little bit more than that guy now, right? That, that's how you that that's, you should always be learning. That's how you should be approaching this. Jamal Faruqi says, uh, "Looks like a lot of top pros are using a max of sum ownership when you look at results." DB, I feel like this is too blunt of a tool to get contrarian. Do you have that, that the same feel when looking at results? DB, uh, it's there's only one way to measure that. Like you're looking at results, DB, and you're looking at ownership sum, and that's the byproduct of it. I don't. I'm not most most top players that I know don't necessarily use ownership sum as like a demarcation line. It is a blunt tool. You're absolutely right. But there are plenty of lineups that if you go through, there'll be plenty of lineups that are either above or below their intended range, but those lineups still look good. So that's why using an exact number as an answer doesn't exist. But it's a good blunt tool to compare lineups to one another to some extent. But a lot of the top, the top 150 max players, are scaling this so much that they're not paying attention enough. Like it just, it, it, it's such, it's, it's marginal to them. So whatever it is, it is. They're playing 150 lineups of DraftKings, 150 lineups on FanDuel, on Yahoo, on SuperDraft and whatever, that it's less important. As long as they're directionally right, they're fine. <coughs> like the type of stuff that I do like with the slates, like especially in an 11-game slate, just to get a sense of the slate is to just run lineups. People just look at this and go, oh, okay, well, i got these figures and stuff. But why not run? I ran 300 lineups before the before the show, right? It's the 10, 11 projections. Just to get a sense of, based on our projections, the top 300 lineups that you can make if you disregard any type of correlation or leverage or nothing, Right, because you don't even have ownership yet. So it shows how good of a play, projected play on DraftKings DeMar- DeMarcus Cousins is when he appears in 100% of 300 lineups. Okay? Is this good chalk or bad chalk if that existed? Well, based on this, you go, the top lineup is 285.65 and the 300th best lineup, we scroll all the way down there, 300th, is two seventy nine point six two. Okay, so that's the range. So now imagine if we took out DeMarcus Cousins. I didn't play him and just built twenty lineups. What's the best lineup we can make without him? Two to seventy five. So you'd have to give up ten points of projection just to not play him. Will you get enough leverage for ten points? In order to play this type of lineup, I don't know. It depends on the contest size. In a large field, yes. In a small field, I don't know. I don't know if it's worth. Is it worth giving up ten points? Like, let's say you don't play Oladipo, and you don't. Let's say you don't play the, any of the, these rockets because Christian Wood is out. And they and DraftKings they did not they did not price these guys efficiently for Christian Wood being out. So let's say we just get rid of all these these rockets built 20 lineups, 272. So really Cousins is the main driver of of that projection drop. Because it's like, you know, yeah, you go down from 285 to 275, but then from 275, you don't play any other Rocket, you're down to 272. 272 without playing Cousins. So let's, let's put Cousins back in. So basically, I'm going to put Cousins back in and leave the other Rockets out. Or Oladipo, Gordon, Tate, and, and Tucker. I mean, he shows up at 2%, so why not? Just get rid of him. Are there any other Rockets in here? So let's re- now we're building a lineup. Lineup set, 20 lineups. Without the other Rockets, but still with Cousins. So it's still 282. So there you go. So with all the Rockets eligible in your pool... Cousins, but none of the other Rockets, you're sacrificing about three to three and a half points of median. You have to play a bunch of George Hill though. So to me, this says that if the other Rockets are going to be over-owned, I don't know what their ownership is going to end up being, that it may be more fruitful from an EV perspective to still play cousins, but just don't play the other Rockets. I mean, you can still play those types of lineups, but I mean, you're not, you're, you're sacrificing three points. I don't know how much leverage you're gaining because we don't have ownership. But to me, it makes, it would make more sense based on just looking at the projections, just looking at this and the lineup constructions that it would be, may, make more sense to play Cousins and fade the other Rockets than do the reverse. And say, well, I'm gonna fade Shaw Cousins and then play a ton of Oladipo and Gordon and Tate. Based on this, it, it looks like it's the other way around. But I, of course, I don't know what the projected ownership is. And it's, and it's the 10 a.m. projection, so who knows? So maybe we get rid of George Hill. We don't have to play George Hill we're still playing Cousins. Do we want to play Derrick Rose? I guess we could play Derrick Rose because he's on the other side of the game. So that, is, that isn't bad. Let's say we get rid of George Hill because he could easily just put up 12 points. So now we're down to 280. Okay, I guess George Hill makes that much of a difference. So now we're getting Derrick Rose, Hardaway, Like still Luca line. We're getting a whole bunch of Luca lineups, like stars and scrubs types of Luca lineups, right? Because we have 80% of this. So maybe we get rid of Luka. Try to build more balanced builds. So we get rid of Luka. And what are we down to? 270, oh, so we're not even sacrificing that much, right? So the difference between that 280 and 279, not that big of a deal. So Luca ain't, ain't, ain't that big of a deal on the slate. Of course, now you have to play Brogdon and Vooch, a bunch of Basley and Bagley, Jeremy Grant. But this, this is the research that I do. This will tell me, of course, later in the day I'll have ownership to, to guide me as another variable, but this will tell me what types of constructions. I mean, it relies on a lot of Mavericks you're not going to play Luca, I guess. Playing Hardaway is fine. I'm just looking through here. Josh Akoji, Mike Mascal. We have to play Mike Mascal. Like from a from a correlation standpoint, this may not be the greatest of lineups. Playing Rose, Jackson, and Grant together, but those are things you could do in groups when you're when you're actually building lineups. So I'm not building these lineups. These aren't lineups that I'm playing. I'm just doing the research. A lot of times you could, you could figure these things out just by looking like by, I don't even have to run anything. I could just look at the player pool and go, yeah, it's more likely that like if all the depot comes in at 32% owned, that I'm more likely to fade that than, than fade cousins. Like I, I could, you do this for long enough, these types of things that you're looking at by running these lineups, like you'll be able to gauge in your head to some extent, but I still do this to double check. I do these types of things, but this is the type of thing that you can do. I show I show this every day. So many people don't do it. Or so many people look at this and go, well, I'm just, I'm hand building the single entry. Why do I have to use Lineup HQ?" This is why. You can do this in Excel. You can download the projections and do this yourself if you want, but that's why we have a tool. That's why you sign up for, for Roto-Grinders Premium and you get access to this. $10 off your first month, click on the link in the description below. But this is what I'm looking at. So when people are gonna ask me, do you fade Shaw Cousins? like Based on this, as of right now, I'm, I'm, I, if you ask me, I'm more, if I were to play, if I was playing 150 lineups today, he'd be more likely to be in all of them than to be in none of them, okay? That's a better way of putting it. It's kind of hard. I mean, he's an 8X. He has an 8X projected median. He has a smash percentage he's that of a GPP relevant score of a coin flip, which is really high in NBA DFS. It's kind of hard at 4,400. If he was 6,400, oh, then it's a different story, right? Then he'd be like, okay, he, he's playable, but not like great. But at 4,400, if he plays 25 minutes, come on. So any last questions? before we get out of here for the week for casual Friday. Let's see. Renault Brown, with your experience, do you still get the weird feelings right before Locke? Weird feelings. Maybe you should go get checked out by a doctor. What type of weird feelings can you have before Locke? I find myself still trying to pick the best players down to the last 30 seconds. Well, there's your problem. Don't pick the best players. Make the best lineups. And you never am happy with any of your builds. The less happy you are, the probably better they are for GPP. Okay? Truthfully, that's what it, you, sh- you should be feeling uncomfortable. If you're playing GPPs and you love your lineup, you probably played too safe. You're probably like, oh, I love this. It's probably not leveraged enough. The best is when I look at my GPP lineups and go, I don't know if this is a good idea. Like, I think it could be. This could really bite me in the ass. Like, th- those are good GPP lineups. I don't win GPPs when I look at my lineups and go, tonight's the night. Now, most of the time when I go, tonight's the night, that, that's t- typically, that's when it goes to zero. <laughs> tonight's the night. And then everything goes wrong. Usually the times I'm looking at my lineups going, uh, this is this is a prayer. <laughs> Uh, this, this is like a 5% chance of happening, but uh, if it happens, maybe I win a bunch. Like those are the types of feelings you should have. You shouldn't be having, you shouldn't be having weird, if you're having weird feelings of like, I made the biggest mistake of my life type of thing, that's probably a good thing. In cash games, you shouldn't have that feeling. Like if you're playing double ups and stuff, you, that shouldn't be, you should you should have the opposite feeling. I'm pretty solid with this line. Like that that's what your are feeling for cash games should be. But in GPP, you should look at your lineup and go, you know, you know the, the Arrested Development meme, I've made the biggest mistake. You know, that, that, that's how you should be thinking. And then once you get to the smaller slates, like showdowns and stuff, that should be at that, that times 10. You should look at a lineup and go, I don't know if I'm, I literally don't know if this is either the best lineup or I'm just taking money and flushing it down the toilet. When you're looking at showdown lineups, you're like, okay, this is, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Like that's a that's a good showdown line. Carnal Bloodblast says uh, your show is great, Blender. Not too many groups focus on strategies and contest selection like I do. Well, thank you. We talking about this is how to be a how to be a profitable DFS player. That's what I focus on, even if it's boring. Some people are like, ah, the way you play is not fun. Like I don't care, but to me, making money is fun. So if I'm making money, I'm having fun. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how boring it is. If I can make money at it by intellectually outsmarting my opponents in a peer to peer game, I'm gonna do it. Especially math driven, probability driven. That's why I play poker for so long. We could find out all that information. 15 hour audio masterclass. If you're still not get, grasping some of these concepts. You know, some of these questions, I don't get, I don't know what you mean by what you gonna say leverage or, or like, you know, percentiles and probabilities and things like that. Just go grab my audio book. It's like a seminar. It's not, I'm not reading a book or anything. It's a seminar. It's a 15 hour audio masterclass with me and James McCool. It applies to any sport and it'll apply forever. Like it's, it's as long as DFS exists, you can listen to this five years from now and it, it should still apply. So go, go pick it up. You could download the audio. You can put it in a podcast player. You can put it on 1.5X. You could refer to certain chapters. They're all broken down. Introduction, game objectives, player selection, expected value, leverage, correlation, construction, risk management, exploits, psychology, and then a whole bunch of miscellaneous stuff. This is the game theory of DFS. I know there are a lot of big words here applying equity to the construction oh balancing outcome probabilities ah yeah just it just it, 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 it's in order to fit words on a, on a like it's not as complicated as it looks. It makes it makes it seem more complicated but I mean you have there's only so much space you have to call different sections. So go pick that up theory of masterclass or whatever you go there click on my link in, the, in my my YouTube, uh, page and my my Twitter bio, you could get there, as well. So, we're done with casual casual Friday. It's not casual anymore. We have an eleven game. We, right now we have an eleven game slate. We have right now. I think they're all going to play. I don't know when the hell the Wizards are ever going to play again. But uh, the Wizards, I, they may have to play like they may have to play a triple header in order to make up some of these games. But uh, but hopefully. Because I mean, because what will end up happening, right? We saw that the other day with the the Grizzlies and the Blazers. Like that was the chalk game and then done contact tracing. So maybe the Rockets game, maybe that, maybe something happens there. And then DeMarcus Cousins goes, boop, we have to do something else. You never know with NBA DFS, but that's why you tune in. Tuning in every weekday, 11 a.m. Eastern here to the DFS pregame show. On Rotogrinders dot com.